That's like our fallback in case shit goes wrong. Okay. Um, so now we're gonna do a countdown. We're all gonna click record at the same time. Ready? Wait. Yep. Three, two, one, go. go. Hey, everybody! Yeah. Welcome back uh, to Detuned Radio. This is uh, what well, has Nat and I found out this year. It's our one-year anniversary today. Today, very. T- I mean, it's at least the the anniversary of the first upload yeah so yeah. it probably aired a few days after that maybe that's true because we had like five or six in the can before we ever released one because right. uh because i'm responsible yeah. like that <laughs> uh yeah because i think we started recording around september i think so too yeah i maybe. think because i was like at the height of covid depression and was like i need a creative outlet and and, and here we are yeah uh, and you texted house- me i was in the woods How's uh, how's fatherhood? Fatherhood's pretty good, but you know yeah, it's all right. Um, she's real cute, which makes up for <laughs> uh, the fact that she doesn't know that what sleep is. Like she will do it, but she doesn't know that it helps. So, like, baby, don't understand sleep. Baby knows tired. Okay. And baby doesn't, knows, baby doesn't knows tired, t- and baby knows that tired sucks. But baby doesn't know what to do about tired. Um, so you got to uh, be like, baby, you just got to go to sleep. But then the baby's like, no, I can't go to sleep. I'm too stressed out because I'm too tired. <laughs> Which, you know. I mean, I but, feel like most adults after a couple drinks are like that too. Oh, they're yeah, very yeah. tired, and they, but they, oh, they should go to bed, but they drinks, don't. Before any drinks. Stone sober. Um... <laughs> But now we have a very special episode. We have our our second guest ever and our first remote guest. Yeah. Uh, the floodgates are open. Floodgates are open. Uh, everybody, uh, this is our dear friend Mike. Mike Mike Shiavsky. You got it. You got it. That's correct. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I've absolutely loved. Listening to the podcast, I've learned so much about music and about the both of you from, from <laughs> getting about, a chance. And about me without you, no doubt. And about me without you. I actually <laughs> realized that I saw me without you and I totally it didn't even register. And then I was like, oh, I need to realize, I need to learn more about this band. And then I looked back at this. <laughs> you know, this I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen, I saw this band in Michigan. Um, I have to like re-listen to it, but they're, but I they're think, one of those bands that just popped up on random tours all the time, and so yeah. I, so many people were like, "I don't think I've ever heard them." I'm like, oh, I absolutely saw them with Thursday. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, so we I, uh, we invited Mike uh, on because uh, Mike is one of the most gregarious uh, and warm people I know. But also, when we started this pub. Uh, so I, I met Mike, we'll get into that, but I met Mike through uh, my friend Evan, who's, I think it's probably name dropped weekly on the podcast. And uh, uh, we met in college and Mike was a, a music fan and we'll get there, but in the most interesting, like I, I either knew people who were deeply mainstream or people who were like into indie rock and Mike was deeply into music and like nobody I'd ever met. And then when we kind of reconnected years later, you had like 180. I don't know, 180 is probably not the right term, but all that to say, you became a big fan of this podcast, and it's an honor. I, I like get really excited when you uh, 
react so big. big Absolutely. Uh, to use a Trumpism when you react bigly. I'm I'm good at reacting bigly to things that I, I want to support. So yeah, there you go. Oh. Yeah. Enthusiasm. Hey, thank you for that. Enthusiasm is the way, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like yeah. we've just forever, it's been uncool to care about things. And I am seeing that get demolished across culture. Love that. Right now, across the site. And I love it. I'm here for it. I, I agree. I, it's, it's way cooler to just like, so I, uh, I've had a long running joke with my group of friends that I'm, that I'm, cause I'm knee deep in the, raised in the, uh, you know, kind of being disaffected and cynical and, uh, I, irony is like, you know, my first language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I keep joking that I'm, my new goal is to become norm core and I'm just going to start wearing <laughs> like new balance sneakers and I'm going to start like watching everybody loves Raymond and like, <laughs> uh, you ask me about politics or the new music and I'm just going to go, I don't know. I, I heard, uh, you know, heard that, uh, Taylor Swift is, you know, pretty good. And so, uh, I have this long running bit with my friends that I'm getting normcore and I, and I can't, like I try, like I've tried genuinely to just be like, can I just stop caring about things? And I, I can't turn it off. <laughs> well, thank you for the very warm introduction and I'm <laughs> very excited and flattered by your kind words and very thankful Aww. for the invitation to participate. Yeah. Well, you were both, uh, hilariously in Indiana, but in, in Mike, I know you just moved away from there, but it was funny because I was like, man, you two need, should meet. And, uh, it, right. unfortunately we hadn't, didn't happen yet, but, uh, sometime, sometime, yeah, sometime there are a couple of shows that I think were maybe on the radar that maybe Mike was going to show up, but then I think you had a couple, I think you had a work thing for one of them yeah, or something. I think there's one that you had mentioned you were going to try to make it up. But because where were you in Indiana? I was in Muncie, which is halfway between yeah, Indianapolis and Fort Wayne. Yeah, so that's a couple hours. Yeah, I so I don't know much about uh, Indiana other than it's the place that I kind of drive through to get to Chicago. But <laughs> that's I was not, that's not the part of Indiana you should judge Indiana it, by. I know, I know, I know. But I was trying to explain to a friend the other day about <laughs> Gary, Indiana, like, the, and they were just completely ignorant about Gary. And so I was like, as I was talking, I was realizing like I actually knew the history of Gary, Indiana, and how it was like, like the starting with the Jacksons and how it was, you know, a company town and all right. this stuff. And he's like, "How do you know all this?" And I was like, "I don't know. It's just like Midwestern knowledge, and you know, <laughs> like." Gary is this storied place. Um, yeah. Anyways. Um, when my uh, wife's brother from Sweden came out with his family this past summer, we wanted to take them all out to the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, which is a great place, probably the best aquarium I've ever been to. I've been to some doozies. Um, and I'm driving, and I've got my Google Maps going, and at a point, it like routes me off the highway, and I'm like, oh, okay, there must be like bad traffic or something or whatever. And we just keep going and keep going until the point where we're like, like driving through downtown Gary, like proper. And I'm just like driving through these neighborhoods in Gary, and I'm like, what is going on? And I don't want to check my phone right now to see what's going on. Turns out my uh, Google Maps somehow had avoid highways turned on. 
Uh, <laughs> and so we drove, we drove all the way to Chicago on back roads. Wow. It was a bad, it was not a bad, it only added uh, like 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just said drove to Chicago and I can't, but hear that. Drove to Chicago. Um, I think you're not faint enough. You're not airy enough. I was, I was not a, uh, for those uh, who aren't insane about music, uh, Sufjan Stevens has a song where he says that line. But uh, yeah, I. In a van with his friends. In a van with his friends. Took me a long time to get on the Sufjan train. Um, it's a good train. It's a good train. Uh, so, yeah. uh, Mike, I yes. set it up a little bit, <laughs> but. Uh, well, I, I, I find you radically interesting just because you're a great person, but also when, and so now, and the listeners don't know this part, but when, uh, again, I came to Chicago, I think for the first, well, I say Chicago, it was Evanston, but that was Chicago to me. Yeah, like it, close, I, close enough. I didn't see the difference. I was like, sure, you guys have public transit, so you're a major city. And my friend uh, Evan would be like, yeah, but like, just know that this is Chicago, it's Evanston. And I was like, ah, it's all the same thing. <laughs> It's like it's all the same thing, right? It was on, you, the, it was on the CTA line. So yeah, yeah. Chicago, yeah. Get there. So we go there to, for uh, Pitchfork Music Festival, which is like, a, uh, this was year two. So Pitchfork Music Festival is still very young. I think the biggest band that year was like of Montreal, which even at their height was not the world's biggest <laughs> band. And so we go uh, and, and I meet you, Mike and Evan. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I got this roommate. He's super into music, like, but not like he's like really into jazz and saying like, I don't know, being like 21 or whatever I was 22 and hearing somebody be like, yeah, there's this guy who's really into jazz and like not in an ironic way. Again, we talked about irony earlier, but like a genuine, I love jazz and, and, uh, yeah. and I yeah. think you worked at the college radio station for it. It's like, true. How, how did that, how did you as a young guy stumble into jazz versus the many other more available avenues. Sure, sure. Sure. So I, I, it's a long story, I suppose, but I, I took piano lessons starting when I was like four or five. I was always had a, an interest in music when I was young. I had a, a pretty good ability to play music by ear when I was a kid, or I had a good ear oh. for music, I would say. And so I took piano lessons all throughout you know, childhood up to like seventh or eighth grade. I was, um, I was pretty bad at reading sheet music. I oh, was yeah. pretty bad at the technical sort of aspects of being a really skilled piano player. So my plateau was pretty uh, medium or average, I suppose. For You're player. in good company here. Like I, <laughs> I learned how to read sheet music, but like, I was just, I was like, dude, I want to play green day. Like what, you know? I don't need sheet music. I always need to like count the staff. I'll be like, okay, I'll write out the yeah. letters and now, yeah, I can, it's still... now I can play it more fluidly. Um, but I, we had, our high school had a jazz band program and it, you could get credit for it. So I signed up and I, I was, you know, interested in participating in music more. And I hadn't really been doing anything with piano for a couple of years. Um, so I did jazz band and I had a wonderful time. It was a mid-size kind of group. There were maybe 12 or 14 of us. Our band director was a really wonderful guy, a really wonderful human being. And I just had a blast with it. And after 
after being in that group for a short period of time, I was just interested in learning more about the music, about, you know, about the composers and about the players and about the, you know, really key figures in in jazz. I had serious XM radio. I think I got for my (laughs) birthday, Uh how to drive and when I got a car growing up in Florida, I grew up in Southwest Florida. You kind of needed a car to get around. Um, Sure. Um, so I would listen to that in the car. Um, and yeah, I got, I got really into it being a person who, um, wasn't much of a sheet music reader. I kind of taught myself like chord notation and chord symbols so that I could like comp play a chordal accompaniment that would fit (laughs) with music. And so my, my knowledge of music theory is pretty deep in chord, like figuring out chords and harmony and very shallow in like reading a dotted quarter note rhythm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I got into jazz was honestly just, um, you know, because I was participating in this and then I was listening to the music and and just, you know, listening to the broadcasts on Sirius XM and just building knowledge about it. And well, and at this time, because we'll get there in your love for, for punk music and particularly yeah. like obscure punk music. Were you into that at all in high school? Cause the irony, like I asked because in high school, like I was into, and Nat, I know it was in the same boat. We were both listening to a lot of obscure, hard to find bands, stuff you'd find, you know, at, at the CD store, there's one copy left and it's supposedly, you know, some legendary hardcore right. band and whatever stuff at the CD store. Wait, I, well, I just remember, I have a distinct moment when I found, uh, do you remember the band Orchid? They're a screamo yeah. band. I remember finding their, um, one of their records at the store. And I remember just being like, oh my God, like I've, like, I don't know, felt like finding <laughs> like a seat, like finding the thing I had only heard about on music forums. Um, and then getting in the car and realizing that they, Recorded it kind of poorly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have never been able to stand more than 15 seconds of an Orchid song. Uh, but yeah, were you on whatever you would call it, hipster, indie, underground? I was saying, world? no, not, not at all, really. I, I don't know. Growing up in high school, most of my friends were interested or interested in sports or interested in like comedy. I watched a lot of like Saturday Night Live and watched mm-hmm. a lot of baseball and football. I did theater in high school. Um, and There's so, a left turn. <laughs> yeah, my, my interests were kind of more, more there. I think, you know, it's funny because you sent me some questions in preparation yeah. and I was thinking like, okay, what was my knowledge or awareness of punk in high school? And I think like as a, as a kid and as a teenager, I really, like wanted to be an adult. Like I wanted the (laughs) respectability of adulthood and I wanted the credibility of being an adult and I wanted opportunities to like participate in the adult world. And in the late nineties and like early two thousands, like the punk music that you would most hear on the radio was very youthful, youth oriented, you know, Blink-182, Green Day, Good Charlotte. Um, 
So at that age, I was not interested in like identifying with things that would clearly make me okay. a teenager. And so that's probably why something like jazz was more appealing to me. But I did get mm-hmm. more into a like, classic rock when, when I was like later high school, you know, yeah. Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, CCR, Neil Young. Uh, and that, I don't know for whatever reason that music struck with me. And again, I think it was a, a way to participate in the adult world. Mm. Um, and, and so that was interesting. I'll say when I was very young, like when I was a little kid, I was always listening to my parents' records. I was really into like classical music because that's what you heard in like cartoons <laughs> and you know, like Wagner and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Not that that's I such like- a, no, that's such a cute observation. Cause like I obviously <laughs> heard classical music in, in Looney Tunes or whatever, but I wasn't, right. I don't know. There is, I, I think I just, oh, this is old. Yeah, this is old stodgy people music. Right. (laughs) I loved, um, Jaws. I loved the movie Jaws and I loved sharks when I was a little kid. And so I got really into John Williams because he wrote the score to Jaws. I was really. Did you learn the two notes? I, so, yeah. Play, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. You learn the two notes of play the Jaws theme? Yeah, this is the half step. I was really into Chuck Berry and the Beach Boys when I was a really okay. little kid, when I was like four or five. And so perhaps there was like a seed there in liking that music that got me into sort of like Ramones and, you know, Clash type punk music but as a high schooler it just didn't appeal to me i think for these reasons and it took like a a whole different set of entry points to really get me excited about punk rock i i think you know if i grew up in the 80s and the punk that i heard was like bush tetras or Minutemen or like scratch acid as a teenager i would have been like oh yeah i mean it just felt more like adult music but it in you know 2001 or 2002 you know green day or blink 182 that was right. very very much a useful music yeah and their like their entire modus operandi is basically like i am living in a perpetual adolescence yeah i am it, like what's my yeah. age again yeah and, like, yeah. and so also songs about giving like, a middle finger to authority yeah like give yeah, it yeah. like uh so lauren and i the other night um, I had, uh, I'm not going to do it, but some 41's fat lip got stuck in my <laughs> head. Um, please don't and, get into it. Oh, oh, I absolutely will. But no, so we put on the, the, the chorus is all about how, uh, just nonconformity, right? Everything is that whole song is nonconformity, nonconformity, nonconformity. Um, you know, we aren't going to grow up and be like you We're, yeah. uh, you know, we're different. We're radical kids. I mean, even at one point in the summer, it's kind of controversial with the, cause the, there's like a rapping verse. The guy says like the doctor said, my mom should have had an abortion. And like, <laughs> that was kind of the attitude of, of that era. And the, that whole music video, right. Is young people, all of them underage. So if anyone's drinking, they're like, it's like in the music video, if anyone's yeah. drinking, they're like sneaking a 40 ounce or something, right. These people aren't sitting around drinking cocktails or anything. And, uh, they're just being jackasses, right. This is the height yeah. of the literal show jackass right. and teenagers, right. whatever. And I remember having that conflict about being, I want to rebel in that. I want to wear what I've always 
wanted cared about my hair particularly like i wanted my hair a certain way and whatever <laughs> but i also wanted to be taken seriously and i wanted a seat at the adult table yeah. yes and so needing needing a seat at the adult table i was constantly kind of going okay how can i enjoy my blink 182 but also like listen to enough you know zeppelin that i can convince these olds that there's something <laughs> here yeah uh, totally you totally, know. totally yeah yeah Cause like, let's be honest, like lyrically, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to pretend like early Zeppelin is, uh, some deeply mature <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not in trouble for I that. Mean, they, no, they, you know, they read a lot of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like, that was about it. <laughs> like they really had people in 19, what, 72 or three getting amped about the line. There's a bustle in, if there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now. Like that's a weird time, right? Like Taylor Swift, the biggest artist in the world could not get away with, if there's a bustle in your, in your hedgerow, uh, you know, people are dunking on her, uh, people are dunking on her for a new song because she says, uh, it's something about sexy. It feels like everybody else is a sexy baby or something, and people are going nuts with that line. So she she's not getting the pass. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, it's me. It's a good song. I def- I'm a T Swift defender. It's a good song. But uh, yeah, she says something like she's trying to talk about her insecurities, but she says if something like it feels like everybody else is a sexy baby, and the internet has had a field day with uh, that particular okay. image. Interesting. <laughs> so, oh, can I wait? Can I just? <laughs> Because you're both, both of your faces, right, are so confused. Steve uh, uh, Albini, when the when the Maroon Five guy Adam Levine uh, became a meme, and if you oh don't know, God. just just we pop, totally missed that on the pop, we pop were, a goo. We were yeah, we're on break. We were on break when the Adam Levine sex. Adam broke. Levine. Uh, uh, <laughs> From all understanding, is a very attractive a man. He is unreal, <laughs> and and sexed with some some ladies on uh, uh, Instagram, and it became like a viral thing. <laughs> and Steve Albini, and uh, I think the lead singer of Eve Six, his name is Mike, and he's Eve Six one hit wonder is hilarious. They've become kind of they're oh still relevant. God. They're surrounded. They're great. His Twitter, his, his Twitter is fantastic. See, he he goes, hey, I got permission from Steve Albini. If you don't know who Steve Albini is, is like a legendary punk. Producer, music guy, yeah, punk and noise, and he says, fellow, um, "Fellow Northwestern grad, is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. The North. What is it called? The North. The NU Mafia. I, I guess. No, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Which doesn't include too many punk rock people, but no, it's like is one of them. Um, but so the Eve Six guy posts on Twitter. I got permission from Steve Albini to post this, and Steve Albini texts him and goes, "What the hell is this about?" Uh, Adam Levine is he the do 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 uh, guy? And he goes, "Are you talking about Third Third Eye Blind?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "No, he's not from Third Eye Blind. He's from Maroon Five. And he's like, "Which one is that?" And this is Steve Albini, who is like, his life is music. But it was funny yeah. because right uh, before this, I had said a joke to Mike in a text with with our buddy Evan, and you didn't know what I was talking about. And then I was like. And it was yeah, like the same day, and I was like, "Okay, so you and Steve Albini are in good company of not knowing." You clued me in. I was totally, uh, totally on the outside looking in until you were able to inform me about what was going on in that situation. It's no, I remember when Maroon Five first came out, and there was a moment 
There is a moment when you didn't realize that they were totally lame. Yeah, when like, they hey, first came out, they were kind of like the sexy Dave Matthews band, uh, I would say. Songs for Jane, that first record, like, oh, four or five. Maybe Sexy Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> they they weren't like a jam band. There's no Maroon 5 cult. Probably more a Sexy Hootie. I, I just remember people saying they're like, but they're good, actually. You know, people kind of being like they're not just a pop, pop band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that Sunday morning, the chord progression was very beautiful in that song. That's probably the only Maroon 5 song I know off the top Wait, of my head. Sunday morning, like the Velvet Underground song? No, yeah, no, the, Mar- <laughs> the Maroon 5 song. Isn't that what it's called? It's like know. a 251 kind of song with a bunch of major <laughs> seven chords. <laughs> <laughs> this is the nerdiest way anybody's ever hold talked on, about on, Maroon on, 5. <laughs> Wait, no. You said five. I just, I just heard uh, in my head Sunday morning. Uh, very, um, uh, very, 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 very different song. All right, we're we're we are we are on five is bad. But uh, so, how um, did you get involved, Mike? How did you get involved doing jazz stuff for your college radio station? Uh, yeah, I was just looking to volunteer to do an activity that was of interest to me and that would occupy some time, and that would be you know, would give me some skills or perspective or, or, or what have you. And so I, I knew, I knew jazz. Um, I signed up to be a DJ on the jazz show for WNUR 89.3 FM, Chicago's sound <laughs> experiment. I love um, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the guy who was running the program sort of gave us an introduction to free jazz and avant-garde jazz. And that oh, was yeah. the primary focus of the show, um, which was a morning Monday through Friday show, was free and avant-garde jazz. And so I remember him talking a lot about Anthony Braxton, the saxophone player, and that was sort of this was totally new to me. I I knew you know Charles Mingus and yeah. and Miles Davis Mingus. and John Coltrane and Ugh. people like Jimmy Smith, but but avant-garde and free jazz was not really on my radar. And so it sort of just kind of hit me in the face when I signed up to do this show. And I spent the summer, like, uh, in the spring. And, well, how did you respond to it? Because when people are exposed to <laughs> difficult music, so noise is a genre, yeah. you know, that's d- difficult. People can kind of go, what? I could do, you know, it's kind of it's like modernist art where, you know, it's kind of like, I could do that. I could paint a square on a circle, LOL. You know, it's like, yeah. so how did you, were you at first like, this is stupid, like, I could do this? Or were you like... Oh, there's some genius here. I don't, I don't ever think I thought it was stupid. I thought that it was really challenging. And I thought that as part of my assignment to be on this show, that mm. I needed to figure it out. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, and so I think at first I was certainly confounded by it and it was just very challenging. But, you know, I'd listened to enough like, I listened to enough Grateful Dead from like 1968 mm-hmm. to 1970 to have heard some out there improv <laughs> noisy music <laughs> that it was just it was Where? just like palatable <laughs> enough for me to be like okay yeah I, I get where this is going and you know some of Mingus's stuff and some certainly Coltrane's latest Coltrane, stuff absolutely is totally right yeah. in there so it wasn't like totally far afield from right. what I had been exposed to jazz wise. But I, I did like a, a 
spring in the spring of my sophomore year like i, I was an understudy um and then for the next two years i was a, a regular dj on the show and i just loved diving into it i loved exploring and learning the artists and i yeah. just loved exposing myself to weird ideas about what art is and what art can be and what the function and purpose of art and music mm-hmm. is and could be the um, way the way you describe your approach to uh all of this is is like i would say like the most hyper logical almost alien approach and i'm jealous <laughs> of it because you're not mentioning being concerned about looking cool what girls thought what you know like and so you're just like oh i wanted a, a hobby to teach me skills and fill up my ample free time in college. And I'm like, Oh, when I was in college, I was like, how do I play as much call of duty as I possibly can, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Like, uh, you know, and I, I had a band as well. Like, it's not like I totally just sat around and played video games, but, uh, um, my brain didn't quite approach. Probably. It was like, Oh, I want to be in a band because being in a band is cool. And I love, uh, yeah. music and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, all different different angles, different approaches, um, different yeah. ways to engage with art. Um, yeah, I guess I I don't know. That was just I always had a really eclectic group of friends, and I thought I, I was always I think good at getting to know people as well. And so I didn't feel like I needed to like the same art to get along with people. And I thought I don't know. I feel like I've always been attracted to getting to know people with whom I have some things in common and with whom I have some key differences. Not like, you know, I'd rather not have friends who were like, you know, bigoted homophobes. Like that, would be a, that would not be a key difference I'm interested in, but to, to have different. You don't want to. Like, right. It doesn't take, it doesn't quite take all types. Like there are some types <laughs> that we can leave out. Yeah. yeah yes. I, I, uh, so, you know, well, one, Nat has edited, correctly, correctly edited out some of my sports talk. Um, but and some of your anti-Semitic rants. Don't rants. <laughs> but no, so I texted Nat the other morning and I was like, okay, like, do you, okay, here's this joke. And I had to explain the joke and be like, do you know who Kyrie, Kyrie Irving is? And Nat was like, actually, I totally know who he is because he's like, Ben, uh, he posted this very anti-Semitic video with conspiracy theories. And now he's, he's like not apologizing for it really in the NBA and whatever. So I, uh, that's, I was excited that you knew who Kyrie Irving was, (laughs) even though it was terrible. It was like a terrible reason post daily seven. He's a very good basketball player too. Well, when he's, you know, also apparently a very good (laughs) anti-Semite. He's, he excels at that. We'll see. We'll see if he. I think as of this, I I haven't checked the story. But anyways, he might have apologized at this point. But if he is apologizing, it's very through gritted teeth. How many many blue check marks do you think people have bought trying to be him? Yeah. So as of this recording, Elon Musk has been emperor of Twitter for four days. And you know that's Isn't the climate it been we're that in. Long? It's only been it was Friday. It was Friday. Uh, yeah. Am I crazy? It was Friday. Yeah, no, that's correct. God. That's correct. Yeah. Or no, so he took over. Sorry, I think he took over Tuesday of last week or so. Okay, so it was a week, and then it's it was like 
but Friday we uh, I say we the tech because I work in tech and so right. we're all DMing and texting and whatever and yeah I mean you know I had a <laughs> there's a big downturn in in um uh, there's a big downturn in tech right now a lot of layoffs and so yeah I've had a lot of friends who are very personally affected by it and it's cascading and uh, luckily I'm cross fingers still okay but all that said yeah e- e- Elon's in the uh, throes of banning many people who have blue check marks who've decided to change their name and profile picture to Elon Musk and uh, I, it's uh, it's, it's I saw a tweet anymore. that was like the past few days of Elon Musk buying Twitter is basically like the Titanic when everyone is playing the violin except the violin is just making fun of the iceberg <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw something else that said it was a midlife crisis narrated from the point of view of the sports car itself. <laughs> it's just That's the, good. That's the good. sports See, car itself keeps commenting on the midlife crisis. Uh, yeah. I, I'm easily out of the two of you, the most, on to like I don't really use or like Facebook. Um, I mean, it's a necessary kind of a thing, but uh, um, yeah, I'm kind of going, man. What am I going to do? But anyways, we are we <laughs> are we are we are. Let's all go back to Tumblr. That uh, uh, so I my memories of this time were I was I had always obviously liked a lot of of music and from the podcast, you know, a lot of it was emo and hardcore and stuff that was difficult to listen to for like, I don't know your average Joe, but I was definitely not into art, uh, music and pitchfork started to have that shift really with like Mm. clap your hands. So yeah. And arcade fires first record in particular and like fiery furnaces. I was like, well, I'm an adult now and these bands are getting these nines and tens on Pitchfork. I got to listen to them. And they were really uh, hating on a lot of the records I loved. And so I was like, well, I guess I got to grow up with this, which was both a mistake, but also did branch me out. And then I remember when Animal Collective's Feels Mm -hmm. came out. And it was Animal Collective's Feels and it was Shoo Shoo, uh, spelled X I U X I U. Um, Was that Shoo Shoo? Shushu came out with Shushu. Shushu, yeah. Those two bands, I remember being in college and like listening to feels in my like study class on headphones and being like, kind of like, okay, if I squint hard enough, I can kind <laughs> of enjoy this. And then I remember Shushu just being like, dude, what is, and you know, they were given yeah. Shushu's like the high, highest course possible. And like, this is the most brilliant thing. Oh, and I was man. like, this is weird stuff, man. And I, I bring that up to say that then when I started, uh, Mike, we started talking, you were also like, well, I'm listening to a lot of weird stuff too, avant-garde really avant-garde jazz and you introduced me to uh, a couple you introduced me to like actually i would say mainstream jazz because i was very ignorant but you introduced me to a uh, peter bratzman who's a german mm-hmm. drummer yeah. and he, i think the record for saxophonist okay sorry yeah and uh the record's called machine gun classic brilliant album and i remember uh i was living with my folks at the time and, <laughs> you yeah. know i'm, I'm trying to my my father comes up a lot on the show because music's always been part of our relationship. I, I, I need to know what Scott Atkinson. <laughs> so I remember listening. To this my dad comes to him and goes, 
what is this? And I was like, this is like, you know, and the two, like something being old almost lends legitimacy. You're like, this is old, man. Okay. Okay. You were like, you were like two when this was out. So don't even, don't even come at me with your young people these days. Nonsense, you know? And so I was like, Hey man, this is old. And he's like, what is this? And I was just like, Oh, it's this avant-garde jazz artist from Germany. Uh, And so we, I remember we sat there and listened to a little bit of it. And like at one point in the, you know, first track, just Peter, Brossman just blows is just yeah, it sounds just like he's blowing as hard and long as possible yep. and my dad was like okay have fun with that <laughs> just like was like I'm glad you're getting into you know this kind of music but wow like why this is I don't know about this yeah my stepdad um we're going through uh, his record collection one time because he had a pretty he had like a a few like big boxes of stuff that he kept in the basement and so I started collecting and then I'm you know he let me sort uh, it was my Christmas gift one year or my birthday present one year in lieu mm-hmm. of uh, actually spending money I could just um, you know pick what I wanted <laughs> out of these boxes uh, which he to be fair had been very um, protective of. Sure. But so he was uh, very generous. Yeah. Um, and I remember the, uh, him, I'm sorting through stuff and he's looking at what I, what I got. And he's like, Oh, I'm surprised you didn't pick up the Spyro gyra. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, what is that? It's like, Oh, it's a jazz group. They're great. And I was like, okay, sure. And then I picked it up and, I will say Spyrogyra is not a jazz group. <laughs> I've never heard this they are, name. Oh, you, they, do you know them, Mike? Spyro. I, I, I'm aware of who they are and what they sound like. They are, yeah. <laughs> they're like, take smooth jazz and make it, water it down. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah. And so, but then we were talking about. Uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I listen to it, you know, not really, I'm just not into smooth jazz. Like, oh, okay. So you're like, you're, you know, stuff like, you know, tell me your, and like, we're trying to talk about like the jazz that I am into. And I'm mentioning Mingus and Davis and them, you know, and he was like, just tell me not like Pharaoh Sanders. And I was like, no, I was like, I, God forbid someone likes Pharaoh Sanders. <laughs> I was like, I just don't really like He's like, yeah, I could never get into esoteric jazz. I mean, it's too esoteric, he said. <laughs> like, Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I'm, there you go. I'm firmly... It's exactly what it says on the tin. I'm firmly in the camp of people, and not ashamed to admit it, that didn't know who Ferris Sanders was until last year when uh, he did that record with Floating Points. I didn't know who Floating Points was either, to be clear. Nobody this knows is not, who Floating Points is. Um, but it just got a lot of praise, and I was like, what's this? And... Um, I listened to a lot over Christmas when we were home last year. I remember we were driving and it's like the full record is kind of one song. Like it's yeah, a yeah, whole yeah. thing. And we were driving and I remember Lawrence being really beautiful, but yeah. Uh, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's Pharaoh Sanders. Funny point. And then like I Google it real quick and it's like, Oh, Pharaoh Sanders is, it's like not legend. Yeah. Uh, and passed, <clears throat> passed away. I think in our interim in our pause between podcasts, but mm, um, I missed that. So I want to say, so this segue is kind of a little bit into how I, uh, became open to jazz. Cause I, I think they, 
I had this I I liked the idea of jazz. I liked the vibe. I wanted to be in a smoke filled room with men with, who were wearing <laughs> suits mm-hmm. and women, you know, oh, and it's dresses. The Mad Men obsession. It's just a cloak is, of the Mad Men obsession. It is a cloak of the Mad Men obsession. And I wanted to be smoking and drinking and people to be just going nuts on stage on a you know a, a upright bass, a trumpet, and maybe a piano or something. And uh, I I don't know if at the time. When I when we became buds, uh, if I had heard "Kind of Blue," I don't even know if I had heard Miles Davis's Man. "Kind of Blue," which is considered like, yeah, it's like the Abbey it's like the Abbey it is the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I might have heard it. I don't know. I don't know. But then you email me and you uh, or whatever the hell. Well, however we talked at the time, I don't know if it was G Chat or Facebook. G Chat, probably G Chat. It was probably yeah, G Chat. Yeah. But you, I've I've said this to you before, and I'll say it again. You do me a, a great kindness, and this is a great uh, advice for anybody who's listening. When somebody asks you for recommendations, don't give them more than three, because yeah. Mike could have said. Well, here you go, and like carry this <laughs> giant crate over, and and he did it. He says, "All right, uh, here's Archie Shep's Kwanzaa. Classic. Here's uh, Joe McPhee's Nation Time. Wonderful, and uh, Charles Mingus's Blues and Roots." Mm-hmm. I said, "Okay," and I listened to all three, and like I got obsessed. Like I got yes. obsessed with yes. all three, and then uh, particularly Mingus. Oh, Mingus has other records. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's Mingus Ah uh, Um, and uh, you know, and I went back and Archie Shap, and you know, and then I realizing that kind of Joe McPhee, because I'm I was super ignorant, right? I'm super ignorant, so they're all equal to yeah. me. And realizing that Joe McPhee is not a name most people know, but like Miles or Ch- Charles Mingus is. Yeah. All that to say, uh, that was like one of, and then you know, I'm still not like a real jazz. I'm a fake jazz head. But that opens me up a bit. Um, you know, th- today I listened to Thelonious Monk's uh, uh, Ivan Paul. Uh, the 2020 release was Thelonious Monk live in Palo Alto, California in 1963, I think, at a high school. Cool. Wow. It came cool. out two years ago, and uh, I listened to that today while I was uh, programming at work. Yeah. But anyways, that's, that's, yeah. that was a kind of good good working at your computer music. Sure. <laughs> I, I struggle with lyrics. So this is the thing is like, so when Nat and I will do this, like take me without you, for example, me without you episode. I not only know that I need to act with him, but like that, <laughs> the man, uh, Aaron Weiss from me without you is like very, the lyrics are such an integral part of it. Yeah. Right. And so it's hard Cause I'll go, Oh, I'm going to put on this me without you record while I work so I can hear it. So I can be prepared for the <laughs> podcast. Right. And then the record will just end. And I'm like, well, I heard a bunch of sounds, but right. you know, right. um, so jazz and stuff like that is a lot more conducive to sure. music with lyrics. is hard for me to work too. <laughs> yes. Well, Jesse, I am so glad that you appreciate and remember that from <laughs> over like like thirteen or fourteen years well, ago. And I those remember are fantastic it, cause, albums because I and again back back to my 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 father. Like I was then kind of going, hey, I'm uh, you know, but and kind of back to your point about wanting to sit at uh, sit at, uh, the expression I always use is wanting to sit at the adult table. Yeah, yeah. Uh, being like, hey, I'm an adult now too. Come here. What? What? See, I got adult records. You know. They're they're difficult and weird, um, and so yeah, I remember him being really amped that I was listening to not just uh, modern, 
whatever, so clap your hands, say yeah, or whatever the hell I was into. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. I think it's interesting because um, you mentioned being in your high school jazz band, mm-hmm. and I was also in my high school jazz band. I played guitar in it. I cool. came into it. Uh, it was mostly because I took music theory and uh, a class called electronic music, which was mostly just like about like recording theory. Um, my sophomore year, junior year, I took music theory too, and then I'm like, I'm enrolling for a senior year. And I'm like, I don't have anything like what are my other music classes i can take and so i uh decided to audition for the the jazz band um the advanced jazz band wow at a, you had a, quite a an enriched high school it it was yeah so was, you made so, it to the advanced jazz band on on a guitar skill yeah so no i'm not asking that to be a dick i'm saying no, no, i'm no, saying I, you often will downplay your uh, guitar abilities is just being like kind of a rock guy, and I've always oh, no, thought they that just you're... grabbed. They just he just threw me a, a sheet with a bunch of chords on it, and I'm like, uh, I'll sit down with my chord encyclopedia and play this. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I think if spaceships is anything to go by, you're you're a better guitar player than you give yourself credit for. Oh no, I I, I know I'm a good guitarist. I just don't think it's that important. We'll get into that if we talk about guitar virtuosos. At some point, which you mentioned, but the, well, um, the West Montgomery segment, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, um, I uh, I came into jazz band from you know getting I was into punk and emo and hardcore and you know also like was going through the classic rock phase that I think every. It, I'm wondering in if there's any Gen Zers out there who could answer this question. Like, is that just something that, like, universally every, like, 15, 16-year-old white male gets into classic rock for a bit? Or is it, like, that was just specifically, like, 2000 to 2006 was what was going on? Because I feel like yeah. everybody was really hyped up on classic rock for a little bit there. Like, are the current... three Are the current ninth and 10th graders... You know they're going to graduate. Whatever twenty, the class 25. of twenty twenty five. Yeah, are they go uh, discovering? You know, Fleetwood yeah. Mac and Zeppelin and whatever. Right. As someone who has worked on a college campus for the last how many ever years, I see all sorts of T shirts: Led Zeppelin, Beatles, um, Nirvana, um. Pink Floyd. So people are okay. So it's timeless. Yeah. uh, Where are the artists? I think, you know, for the time period you mentioned, 2000 to 2006, this was like the rise of easily accessible electronic music. And so the catalog, the catalog of what became accessible to people was vastly expanded beyond when you were in the early 90s and okay you're listening to a couple different radio stations and the classic rock station was probably way outside of your social sphere whereas that's a great that's that's probably a good call because i think it's you definitely like napster comes on like all right what do i need to listen to and so have you heard abbey road no you have to download abbey road have you heard pet sounds you have to hear. Have you heard Led Zeppelin four? Have you heard, you know, Dark Side of the Moon? And you just go through the classics starting there. I think that's a good point. Um, but yeah, so all, all that to say, 
I had come from it, like being aware of, you know, from a punk mindset um, and then coming in and learning uh, like Basie and Davis and yeah. Uh, um, we had a, we had a Mingus song that we did. We did Gunslinging Bird. Oh, nice! We would, we would do it. At, wow! We would do it at performances, and the other jazz bands would flip out. <laughs> it was <laughs> that's hard that was to play. It was, yeah. Um, I I just think that I did. We had two guitar players. Uh, the other one, uh, Tom Nania, is now a guitar builder. Uh, cool. House of Luthery, uh, which is a South Bend-based guitar building company. If we want to put that in the show notes, absolutely. Um, will. But which you can it, wait real quick. You can find show notes and whatever whatever you listen to this on. If it's just a podcast app. Show more or whatever. Yeah. At the bottom of the swipe to the right. Whatever the hell. However, they're in there. They're, I, I work hard on them, and I think like one person can, looks at them. You can read more about Peter Brotsman in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a bro, um, I always say Brotsman because I figure German, Brot, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so he, we would switch off songs a lot. And we had like, you know, we had two bassists, we had two drummers, we had two piano players. And so we would like kind of like had two different rhythm sections that would swap songs. And so Gunslinging Bird wasn't my song. Uh, and I was very, un- I was very sad about that. But I distinctly remember um, because I wasn't on that song, it gave me the delight of uh, being backstage during one of the performances at a perf- yeah. at one of the contests that we were doing, uh, like a jazz band competition, and watching members of one of the other bands frantically running around trying to figure out what. Key and time signature. <laughs> it's like Love they're it. running around. There's one guy like running around like with his drumsticks and he's like, I gotta, I gotta find, is there a xylophone around here? Is there a xylophone? <laughs> I'm like running over to the xylophone trying to find the key. But, um, but That's yeah, really like cool. it, then getting into that and I, mm-hmm. I probably, I don't know if I bought kind of blue right away. Uh, honestly, I, um, like there is one song that we were doing and like we split up into jazz combos and there was a standard I think was called reflections, uh, which is roughly what so what is based on. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and I'm looking at the chord chart and it's literally just D minor for 32 measures. I'm like, <laughs> what is going on? And then it jumps up to E flat and I'm like, what is happening here? And he's like, Oh, it's so what? I'm like, it's so what, what? It's like by, by Miles Davis. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I tracked down a copy of The Essential Miles Davis. And I am just floored by this track, which is, you know, just this brilliant in its simplicity. Yeah. It's, it's l- literally two chords that then jumps up half a step and is the same two chords, and then it goes back and forth. But well, I'd well, say so- the root is, but. The the players are uh, bopping around. <laughs> the, no, the the rhythm section is it's you're bopping on these two tr- these two mm, chords, right? Like mm. that's all, and it's is the bam bam. Like, yeah. that's what the that's what <clears throat> the rhythm section is doing the whole time. Um, but then just like getting exposed to that, and there is also in my uh, one of the music, either music theory or electronic music, um, and I briefly mentioned before that. 
every day someone would bring in a song to like discuss as a class. And there was this sax player who was in that band, who was in that class, who was obviously super into jazz. And um, he brought in a Miles Davis track one day that just like blew my mind open. Cause like, you know, you're coming out of, you know, punk and hardcore and whatever pop music, basically it's all, it's all, all right. pop music. Um, you just make it faster and louder, but then you hear this thing where it's like, okay, what is the part that's actually like the song that's written is like, Oh, it's just like these 30 seconds here. <laughs> and they just do that for a while. <laughs> That's the song. And then they just go off from that and they improvise off that and whatever. And that, yeah. that, that idea that you could, cause I, let, let's be, let's be clear. I had been exposed to jazz, to jam bands at this point. Hmm. And that did not impress me. <laughs> but I, that you could, do something that was mostly improvisation and still actually was tuneful and have mm-hmm. like a like a um, like a, st- a narrative to it. Like you, because there's still there are narratives crafted into these. Even like in you know uh, John Coltrane's wildest stuff. Like even on Ascension, like there are stories here that are being told by nine horns at a time, but like there is, you know, there is sense and theme and, you know, you can tell where they're going at this point. And so the, that was a, that was a mind blowing concept to me. But then also when I later got into some of miles rougher stuff, we'll say (laughs) uh, his electric period. I I still can't do bitches brew. It gives me a headache. I'm a fraud. It turn gives your, me a headache. Turn your treble down. <laughs> it gives me, when it, it, I, I'm like, turn the high I, end down on your, on your, I was like, all right, this is going to be the year that I can break through into bitches you know, through and fusion. Nah, just and, listen uh, to, just listen to in a silent way. In a silent way. Is it for me? Jesse, all bitches brew is not my cup of tea either. So <laughs> actually, yeah, but, it, it's like one of those things you look at on paper and you go, okay, you're, Good. <laughs> what like, <laughs> do I like you? Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Uh, but no. So, like, getting into his uh, Miles Davis electric stuff, and then you know, starting to branch into um, the more avant-garde stuff, especially like getting deeper into Mingus. Yeah, and then you know, you, there's this rebellion there. Mm-hmm. There is this absolute defiance that runs through jazz that then, ev- like. Because it's kind of funny because you're like, you're listening to like Bitches Brew or Ascension and you're like, this is so revolutionary. Like this isn't like the jazz, you know, this isn't like a Duke Ellington or whatever. And then you yeah. actually realize Duke Ellington was actually pretty revolutionary as well. Right. We did some Duke Ellington songs in my jazz band that yeah. really like, oh man, we did, I had to write a guitar part for um man what is that song called in a sentimental mood no no no, the, no. it was it's uh when you say duke uh, ellington i think of in a sentimental right mood. exactly exactly what that's what everybody uh um thinks about um the song was happy go lucky local okay mm. and i don't know i'll have to listen to it 
I there wasn't a guitar part for it, but you were tasked that, to augment. Yeah, so the, the, Duke way that, the way that the like the rhythm section <laughs> like divisions sort of worked out, the uh, Tommy had two of the Ellington songs, and I had one, and then there was another song that didn't have any of them, and so I took the piano score and. Uh, a, a CD demo over the weekend, and I I wrote a part for the song, and you start realizing like Duke Ellington's kind of he's kind of defiant too. Yeah, like he is absolutely defying that. And then like yeah. like oh, but it's not like you know Charlie Parker or Louis Armstrong or things. But then you realize all these guys, yeah, yes, and defiant figures, and yes. to the point that like. When cannabis was outlawed by Congress, one of the reasons they gave was that it would make all of your daughters want to listen to jazz and sleep with black men. Yeah. And like there was a genuine. So, okay, this is a fantastic segue. And that when <laughs> I was growing up, jazz was seen as old to me. My yes. perspective, jazz is old man music in part because of the Cosby show. I, I know what we know about Cosby now. It's Again, been gentrified. Go back, go back to the nineties. Go back mm-hmm. to the nineties. Cosby's America's dad. He's like the moral authority. And his favorite thing on the Cosby show that was a, a trope was he would go into the basement and listen to his jazz. So jazz and classical music are always viewed as, as old yeah. uh, people, uh, old man adult ish music to me. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized how uh, much jazz scared people. And right. I think this is a good segue into kind of the second chunk that I really want to get into with, with you, Mike, is that um, you shocked me a couple years ago where I knew you as Mike, the jazz guy who <laughs> would listen to some of the indie rock stuff. Me and me and Evan threw at you, but then uh, you were like deep into punk, but not just like, Oh, I'm listening to the greats and the classics. You were like, I'm listening to this very local band that sold a hundred records. Right. It's true. Which is not most people when they hit their thirties, especially are like tapping out of that kind of life. Uh, they're like, you know what? Sorry. Episode about that, you know? Yeah. So what, how did you transition from, uh, what, what got you into punk and particularly local punk after you moved to to Indiana? And like, how did you not, uh, write it off? I guess. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah, I, Probably going back to college, there were some entry points that got me into punk rock. One of them was Captain Beefheart. I was, I was, there was a guy at the radio station oh, yeah. who did a Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa show. You got was, me to Captain Beefheart too. He, he was like studying abroad or something and they needed someone to do the show with Zapsons. And so I was selected because I had, I knew the album Trout Mask Replica and I knew some other Captain Beefheart things. <laughs> so I was the person who did this for a summer and I just totally devoured it all, got really, really interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that led me to other folks like Per Ubu, who led me to folks like Minuteman. And I think listening to Double Nickels on the Dime by Minuteman, which definitely has a Beefheart esque kind of vibe. That was probably one of the first punk records that I really got into. And that, you know, if you're a, if you're a free jazz head, it's easy to see how you would like, uh, like an album like that. I also kind of, as totally different thread, got really into the Ramones. I remember listening yeah. to like Rockaway Beach 
on repeat like 40 times in a row. <laughs> um, because the songs, you know, it's that feeling of that euphoria when you discover some new piece of art or some new thing yeah. that you just love and you just can't get enough of it. And so I remember listening to the Ramones, Rockaway Beach and like Rock and Roll High School, listening yeah. to those on repeat. And so, I don't know, I kind of like had explored the classic rock thing and I was interested in finding what was next and punk instead of like getting into like 80s hair metal or something like <laughs> punk and starting with like the Stooges and the New York Dolls yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the Ramones. I kind of just, I just kind of got into it chronologically. So the New York Dolls, the Stooges, um, you know, the Ramones, the Clash, the Specials, um, totally. Richard Hell and the Voidoids. And I was just kind of like, okay, I have to listen to this music. It, it fascinated me. I think it was so different than the punk, the pop punk that I had heard as a kid. Oh, absolutely. And while, while those people drew their influences from that music yeah. several generations down the line, mm -hmm. this sort of chronological uh, listening to it really just totally made sense to me. For sure. Um, well, so then, yeah. I was going to say, I'm a fraud in that, in that I was always insecure about, and I think this is part of both, I think all three of us have kind of mentioned this as our uh, desire to sit at the adults' tables. Like, um, I've, I've not. Nat, no, okay, Nat never wanted to be at the adult table, but I definitely did. And so Green Day comes out, Blink-182 comes out, all this stuff comes out, Sum 41 comes out. And you listen to, I remember, okay, line in Sum 41's Fat Lip, uh, he says uh, Maiden and Priests were, what does he say something about? Maiden and Priests were the gods that we praised. And then I remember being like, okay, cool, I'm going to go listen to Judas Priest. And like, it, to... <laughs> a 14-year-old a, a boy, it didn't sound good. I was like, what is this? This is crusty. This is old man music. This is That's whatever. That's Judas Priest. And so I, uh, <laughs> he did get inducted Judas into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yesterday, by the way. Did, did get, that is not... Look at some of the names. He got inducted yesterday. Um, look at some of the names getting inducted. It's not I, high a praise. I remember seeing the film um, uh, High Fidelity. Yeah, comes out and um, and so like uh, that was the one where you know Jack Black is the record store clerk and he's like fighting actively antagonizing him, yeah. uh, uh, customers who come up and and um, want whatever record and he's like no you don't want this you want stiff little fingers you want Minutemen well I yeah, did the yeah. homework I said okay. I'm, I am that customer who's buying the modern pop punk, whatever. And then I would put on Stiff Little Fingers and I would put on Minutemen and I would just have this moment where I would go, I guess I'm not cool because I don't like this. This is just <laughs> rough. So I say that tangent to, to say that, that, uh, uh, I've always, you know, like I've always needed, it's like the, the spoonful of sugar makes a medicine go down. I've always needed that spoonful of sugar in my in my punk mm -hmm. uh, i don't necessarily need it anymore but when i was young definitely you know yeah. so i think blink 182 is king of the world and Minutemen were not but um <laughs> yeah it's no, funny it's to me that you went in from this i would say less accessible route is how yeah yeah oh totally totally i'm thinking about it a couple of other things that going back to like high school i was into saturday night live and i remember 
the fear episode. Yeah. That was the infamous <laughs> fear episode. And I remember listening to this music as a, in like when I was 17 or 18 and being like, wow, this is really scary and interesting. And it caught what my what attention. What is the fear episode? Can you fill oh, me they in? Got, they got booked for a Halloween episode. Uh, they like, were the, like, there's a, I've never even heard this there a, a band, band called band fear. Called band called fear. I have like a local, they're like a local New York punk band. Uh, so they got like booked horror, on SNL. Yeah. Like horror okay. punk kind of thrash metal. Right. They got booked on SNL because John Belushi was a big fan and yeah. they wanted him to be, to do a guest spot. This was like a couple of years right. after he left the show. Definitely going so in the show notes. He was like, I'll, I'll be on the show. If you let fear, be on the show as the musical guest. And they got a bunch of like, like people like Ian McKay and people from the DC scene to mosh yeah. on at, in Rockefeller center with yeah. fear. And then it was a big to do because, Oh, I got to look this up. Damaged things. You can watch it. And yeah, they were, they were banned. <laughs> well, they were, they knew they were never coming back. Sounds like. I was um, too, so I was in, I got, I wouldn't say I was a fan of fear, but that was a, a give me a taste that I think I sort of revisited okay. with later punk. I remember like there were goth kids at my high school and I remember like Googling, all right, what is this? Like, what is the subculture about more than like wearing a, a certain kind of clothing? And I remember listening to Susie and the Banshees. I remember listening to the song Happy House as like a, a 17 or 18 year old and really yeah. loving it. But again, this um, is such an acad academic way, which I, I'm not insulting. I appreciate, but like my, cause I was a new metal kid hit my, my seventh grade year. And I think seventh grade is when a lot of people kind of, I would say come on line and mm -hmm. have a better expression for, for that, but really start to be themselves aware, start to make decisions on what they're going to watch and listen to more. And uh, my seventh grade year, uh, Eminem's debut, well, not his debut because his debut was infinity, but the, <laughs> Slim Shady LP came out as major label his debut came out as breakthrough came out as well as Korn's third record follow the leader, which is a giant breakout when biscuits first record who was co-signed by Korn through bill y'all. And it was just the <laughs> floodgates of new metal and rap core and horror core and whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it opened. And, uh, and Marilyn Manson came out with uh, the Antichrist superstar. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, in the terms of going, what's goth? What is this? I, I never had that. I was just sort of like, I don't know, but Marilyn Manson scares me and is awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to be that, you know? And like, I was, you know, I was born and raised a born again Christian and there was no bigger boogeyman at the time than Marilyn Manson. And so despite my own personal beliefs, he was still intriguing to me. Right. You know, I still wanted to peel back the curtain and go like, what's Marilyn doing over there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get side that. note there. Have you ever heard Rackets and Drapes? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> They're as, as close as you could probably get to a Christian Buddy, Marilyn Manson. Why do you and constantly. And they're just not good. Nat is a great. So, look, I've had years of therapy to suppress memories, and then Nat'll be like. <laughs> Hey bro, remember Plank Eye or something? And I'm like, unfortunately, yes, I suppressed it. But no, Rackets and Drapes was the Christian answer to Marilyn Manson. Uh, they were the great. like uh, CC. Yeah, you could like buy them in Christian music bookstore. Yeah, 
Rackets yeah. and Dreams. Y'all, y'all got me. Y'all got listen, me listening to that DC Top song, Jesus Freak, and I was like, "This is a pretty good song." Like, this is a good. An atheist. It's all right. For, it's all right. But yeah. I was like, "All right, this is good." This that bridge is like totally, totally I'll, different. I'll defend most of the record, Jesus Freak, even though the lyrical content I don't quite agree with. <laughs> uh, you know, those those boys had a good producer. It was a well-made, high-quality uh, product. I used to think I was so hard for listening to Jesus Freak back in the day. Like, oh, it, yeah, well, like- and uh, <laughs> so I remember being a, a kid and I saw them on tour for uh, Free at Last, which was their third record and kind of their big, big, D- D- this is DC talk, big, big, the record. And it yeah. was still hip-hop. It was still rap. I mean, it was... Whatever jokes or eye rolls you want to do, it was, was that Bob. Was that the album that had two honks and a Negro on it? Yes, yes. Uh, they have a song called "They have a song called Two Honks and a Negro." The, whole, the it's like a twelve second thing, but there's like two honks and a Negro serving the Lord, two honks and a Negro just singing this song, and that's the whole. Bit. <laughs> but like the DC talk is two two white guys and a black guy, and. Again, uh, uh, I'm going to plug the hell out of this. Uh, uh, Pitchfork does this thing called Sunday Review, which I really look forward to and love, especially if it's a record. Um, and it's where they they review a record they haven't reviewed before, blah, blah, blah. But it's more than a review. It's like a deep dive. And they did one on Jesus Freak about a year and a half ago. And it was, uh, man, it's really good. And I whoever wrote it, uh, I, I'll link it in show notes. did a great job. But all that to say, I... Seven-year-old me, eight-year-old me, wore baggy, ba- the baggiest shorts I could, my parents would let me wear, <laughs> that went as low as possible. I had the baggiest shirt I could wear, and I had the shirt, I remember I had this, like, purple shirt, and I had a Bugs Bunny and Taz. Absolutely. Uh you know, and they were dressed like uh like Criss Cross. Cross. I had the same one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were dressed real hip hop and whatever and edgy. Yeah. And I had the um the Nike, it was like a Nike golf hat, but you're supposed to intentionally wear it backwards. I had that. So that was like the, the world. Visor? Was like, uh not like a visor. Oh. It was like it was just like a straight up golf hat, but you wore it okay. backwards. You remember when visor like on. visors got big in like ninety nine? Yes I do. But and you're wearing them out upside down. Um, when oh, Jesus yeah, Freak okay. came out in the Christian community, at least in my sheltered world, who had not heard Nirvana, uh, that blew my pants off, man. Like, I was like, wait, they're doing rock now? And what? So I will I defend that record till I die. I hope that Dave Grohl has a songwriter credit on Jesus Freak because that <laughs> drum part is like very, it smells like tea. It really is. That. Just just the <laughs> drum part? Just the <laughs> drum part? <laughs> well, like the drum part is like almost like hit for hit. Yeah. The yeah. stylistic thing is very, very Nirvana. <laughs> it's, it's something because like I knew that song first, right? And then it wasn't until I was uh, maybe even in my 20s that someone pointed out like, you know, Jesus Freak by DC Talk is just... Smells like Teen Spirit, but like kind of, kind of like tweaked a little bit with a rap and with a rap verse in it. And I was like, "What?" And I heard, I like listened to them back to back, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so here's here's what's interesting is that I actually heard "Smells Like Nirvana," the weird album, okay, first. So I heard I heard Jesus Freak, and then I heard "Smells Like Nirvana," and then I heard "Smells Like." Then Teen you Spirit. heard. Then you heard the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So That's I so went uh, very many layers deep. Also, side note here is that everybody should watch Weird. The weird it's on my uh, uh, for Americans where it's it's, it's on a Roku channel. What the hell is Roku? I mean, I'm aware that they're like those devices you plug into the back of your yeah, TV a decade I have a ago. Roku. You do? Why? It's just it's a streaming box, man. I'll send you an Apple TV, Nat. You can you don't have to live like this. No, it's just like an Apple TV. It's like a except it's they're like terrible. a competitor. No, they're fine. They're good. <laughs> okay, so how it's can a I watch? Fine device. All right, all right. I'll figure out how to watch this weird documentary, Daniel. Uh, Daniel uh, uh, Harry Potter. Daniel Radcliffe. Radcliffe. It's I was not a documentary. It. It's a biopic. He was chosen by um, by Weird, weird Al, Al himself. Himself, and so they've been. Uh, my wife watches quite a bit of late night talk show YouTube, and we watched uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Weird Al on uh, one of the one of the Jimmies the other night. Um, I did want to segue into, uh, I guess just just the sort of where you are now in that. Um, like in that recent sure, years, sure. you know, you, you do this discovery, you find out that you are into, you know, it's one thing to discover that you like the Minutemen or Stiffle yeah. Fingers or whatever the hell, but they're, they're, they're old and or dead and or broken up. And so how, what, how do you like discover uh, local music and go to it? And also how do you do all this without feeling like, yeah. I'm too old to be here. Yeah. Let me, you know, if we can maybe take a few steps back, I want yeah, oh, to credit some other things that influence. So Evan, um, our dear friend, Evan Best is guy. a wonderful friend, very dear person in my life, introduced me to some music that I also think really influenced my taste, Sonic Youth being one of them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Animal Collective. He, he put me onto Sonic Youth too, or they were a band I'd heard my whole life, but when he got into them, that made me go. Yep. Okay, I should yep. check them out. <laughs> Sonic Youth, Elliot Smith, Animal Collective, um, Grizzly Bear. Yeah. Animal Collective, as someone who liked the Beach Boys and as someone who liked the Grateful Dead, Animal Collective was like this beautiful blend of those two bands. <laughs> um, Sonic Youth, I think, definitely. It took me several cycles back to really deeply appreciate them as much as I do now. Yeah. But Evan was just always introducing me to stuff that really, really just pushed my taste further, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, yeah, getting into, like, 80s, like, uh, hardcore bands, Bad Brains. I remember listening to Bad Brains hmm. for the first time and just, like, absolutely having my mind blown by that. Man. I remember listening to the Minor Threat complete discography, and that was very influential. Um, the Germs, um, Black Flag. I remember listening to like TV Party. Yes, and I remember like thinking this was just hilarious and brilliant. I, I loved it. Um, you know, kind of more art rock like Gang of Four, yeah. Bauhaus. Wire. I love Gang of Four. Wire. So I would say of all the bands you just listed, I think I've taken a taste of all of them, but Wire and um, Bauhaus are the only ones that have kind of stuck. Yeah. You know, yeah, Wire, personally. Wasn't Wire a, a weekly pick for me one time? Maybe. I think. We, sh- I we think should have uh, a. We should. 
We should collect our weekly picks somewhere. But anyway. Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> uh, the fall, I was really into the fall when I started grad school. I was really into Public Image Limited. I was really interested in the slits. I remember you heard of Public to- Image Limited? Mm-hmm. It's Johnny Rotten's thing that he did after Sex, uh, um, Sex Pistols. Mm. It was very, very good. I was into like this kind of like dancey post punk. Yeah, the raincoats, yeah, yeah. the slits. There's this band called Kleenex that also is called Lilliput. And from what's happening? What's happening in the mainstream during this time, or even even in the mainstream indie rock world? Because uh, we it's just so did like a, we just did like a, a what we called the garage rock revival episode where we talked about the strokes and the white stripes and all that. This, is, this like, is much later, but you know. this is like 2009, 2010 when I was getting okay. into this music, 2011. That was when I was in, in Bloomington. Uh, so yeah, Bloomington, so Indiana. Bear would have been ridiculously yeah. popular at the time. Yeah. Bear, and, Spoon, Phoenix. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was, I was really into, uh, I was really into Animal Collective. I remember that very weather post pavilion album. That, that Evan, one's so good. That Evan, like, we, we listened to that so much my senior year of college. <laughs> he had that thing on repeat for, for a while. That was <laughs> such, I could play, Great I could play like some of these songs on the piano right now, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just my, my musical taste. I think I was always trying to find the next thing, the next thing that really got me. I got in like 2015, Evan and I started making this playlist called Post Punk Dance Party, and we were listening to a lot of No Wave. We were listening to James Chance and the Concortions of ESG mm-hmm. and Bush Tetras and Delta Five and the Au Pairs, who Evan introduced me to. And Jesse, are just, you making notes for the show notes? <laughs> I am. I am. A lot of links. I can a lot, send, a lot of links. I can send. I can send this to you. I think um, <laughs> eventually I made my way to Nirvana. Listen to Sonic Youth, listen to the Pixies, listen to Dinosaur Jr. I made my way to Nirvana yeah. and I just fell in love with Nirvana in a way that I wouldn't have appreciated if I hadn't like, worked my way in a chronological sure. yeah. like, fashion. Can I, Mike, can, yeah. I, can I cut you off? And sh- so you, you, I didn't know you were a contributor to this playlist. So our dear friend Rosemary, who is the only other guest on this podcast uh, the other day texted us the story and they said, uh, Hey, fun short story. I met this artist at Patreon where we became pals. And uh, we were people who always took over this conference room and put music on and we would share a lot of music. At some point I shared a playlist that Evan made called post punk dance party. Yesterday they told me that they introduced the very same playlist to the tattoo shop. Cause this individual is now a tattoo artist. And it's one of the things they listen to most. <laughs> so if you were ever at Modern Electric in Berkeley, uh, the playlist that you, uh, which is a tattoo shop, the playlist that uh, I guess you and uh, Evan made is often on repeat in, <laughs> in Berkeley. Uh, but yeah, Rosemary shared that. And I was like, I, love it. I don't know. I just serendipity. I love it. I love, love it. it. What else? I, I remember. Oh, yeah, no, I'll say also that I also kind of came to Nirvana later. Um, like, of course I was like aware of them in high school, obviously, how do you not, you know? And of course, like I was, you know, pretending, like I would tell people like, oh yeah, man, I remember the, I remember when Kurt killed himself. That was so sad. I was four (laughs) years old. Yeah. I was going to say you were a baby. Yeah. I like, what did I know? But like, I made a concerted effort in high school to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm 
sitting down at LimeWire, I'm going to get into Nirvana. And like I started like downloading all these songs. And then I was like, these are all the songs that I already know, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess they don't go much deeper than this. I had a very similar experience. When yeah, I and it's like, to get I already them. know all this. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to get in, but like, like here's heart shaped box. And you're like, right. Yeah, it's I like, know. you mean I've been here the whole time? I guess whatever. But like, it was like a couple of years ago. I was in my 30s when I finally bought Nevermind, my very first copy of Nevermind, which oh, I also. Uh, did not give enough credit to because as soon as I bought it, I noticed the copyright and realized that it came out in 91. And here I'd been my whole life thinking it came out in 94, which shifts things a whole lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 91 to 94 is a, is a very I think in, in utero is 94. Yeah, it is. 90, 93. Or 93. And is it he, that? Uh, Jesus. He, yeah, 93. he died in 94. The... But, um, yeah. I, I I remember being uh, hitting junior high, uh, burning CDs was a thing. Oh, We've absolutely. Talked about this a lot, but there was a business, and Evan Evan was one of the proprietors of this business. There's two guys, uh, and Evan was one of them who'd sold burn CDs. You give them ten bucks and give them a playlist, and they'll make you a burn CD. And uh, <laughs> I remember just asking for, can you just give me? Um, Nevermind and in utero. And I think I was like, honestly, I think I was eighth or ninth grade. And I remember coming home and I remember again, my father's going to come up being showing him, being like, look, I got these. And knowing he was probably going to be uncomfortable with it, but also being like, you can't get mad because this is history, man. Like I knew enough. <laughs> I knew enough to be like, you can't even get too mad about this because this is history. And I remember it blowing my mind in, in uh, a really specifically in utero, shocking me how dissonant, how upsetting, how abrasive it was thinking that like main, like Green Day, perfect example, right? Green Day at that time was bigger than anything, but they had kind of sanded the edges on their music to make it more successful. And I kept, Mm -hmm. I'm like trying to imagine, you know, regular Americans going out and buying in utero and hearing like, uh, you know, Francis, uh, Francis Farmer will have a revenge on Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm trying to imagine just like a regular guy who's like, I like smells like teen (laughs) spirit. Like though, what a thing. That's why I know we're off the rails, but that's why Geffen, That's why Geffen rejected the record twice. It's it's an abrasive <laughs> ass record, and I love it. But I remember it, it scared, it it scared the shit out of me when I first, particularly in utero. Yeah. Like, Nevermind is really good I, and really yeah. aggressive, but in it's utero real, is it's like pretty different. It's different. In utero, I bought. I actually bought a copy of In Utero in college because uh, I found a cheap copy at a, like a used store on CD and. All apologies at that point was probably my favorite Nirvana song. It's like, oh, all That's apologies on here. All right. And then I listened to it the one time. I'm like, I guess all apologies is still my favorite Nirvana song. <laughs> but, That's, but then I think like, it's, it's definitely it's the most accessible around. song. Yeah. It's, it's on that record. In there. Oh, on that record in particular. Yeah. Is Heart Shaped Box on? Yeah. Heart Shaped Box is in there as mm-hmm. well. As, right? mm-hmm. yeah. I've always, I always found that Bleach had a certain effect on me i love all the nirvana records very very much but bleach if i need to like amp myself up to drive somewhere like <laughs> just playing negative creep or blue on repeat 
is my. You have a negative creep, uh, like button or something. Uh-huh. I, it's a it's a piece of art that this friend named Logan Ledford made, oh, and okay. it's um, it's a negative creep sign. I'm looking at it right now. It's got art <laughs> on it, and it's this negative creep, and it's on my fridge, <laughs> and I got it at the an art fair in Indianapolis in oh, summer of 2021. So yeah, I, Nirvana blew the blew the floodgates open. I got really into Bikini Kill. I listened to their first two albums <clears throat> that were like released on a single CD. And I like that blew my mind, like suck my left one and like rebel girl. And, and that just the, the sort of aggressive in your faceness of that music. Yeah. Seems so much cooler than like and I know you like these bands, but like Wilco and Spoon and Sufjan Stevens. And I was like, oh my God, I can't listen to that anymore. I'm listening to this. Yeah. Like just, <laughs> just like, like just intense like, I, I, life music that I just loved. It was just so exciting to me. And that, I'm not to say that one couldn't appreciate those type of indie rock artists too. But in that moment, I was like, oh wow, this is, this is the thing that I need to know more about. Yeah. Nat and I have talked about this a lot on the show where you have a moment with music and it and it shakes it to your core and you go, oh, everything I was before I'm throwing away, I'm now this yeah. guy. <laughs> you know, I had that moment with the White Stripes where I was like at the height of my emo-ness and hardcore-ness and when the White Stripes came out, I was like, oh, I guess all I need is an amp to turn up really well. You know, everything else sounds overproduced and overly fussy and overly whatever. And, you know, now I'm at a point where I can appreciate everything. But yeah, I've had that moment like <clears throat> like you were. So I, you know, you bring up Sufjan. I was deep into the opposite side of things. And when Sufjan came out, people were freaking out about it. I was like, you guys are really like going nuts for this guy. Like he's like whispering into the microphone, like really. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it's, you know, inverse where like, I know a lot of folk, uh, it, it, and Nat's talked a lot about this, like discovering Deftones, discovering Queen, uh, Queens of Stone Age. I don't know, just, but like, I got really into the Queens of the Stone Age in like 2011, like well, well, well into their career. Yeah. And they were one of those bands where it was, it was unclear whether or not it was cool to like that. Like I knew they, they were huge, right? But being huge does not mean cool. Right. And I was like, I don't know if it's cool to like them, but I love this band. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's um, one of those moments. I, I had a thought. I, I'm going to, this is a very clumsy, uh, dovetailing of no, two different it. thoughts. Cause I, cause you I, you can, you can edit it in post. <laughs> watch me not um so you mike you had mentioned the uh the pipeline from nirvana to bikini kill and mm-hmm. it made me realize like how interesting it is that nirvana has so many of those uh yes things where they are where nirvana is like a gateway to bikini kill and sleater kenny and a lot of these riot girl bands yep and a lot of these queer core bands were like most of the contemporaries that you would throw around Nirvana are gateway to Creed, I guess. <laughs> like, yes, what, like, yes, but Pearl Jam, <laughs> absolutely, like- yes, absolutely, yes. When I got into Nirvana, <laughs> I found the Wikipedia article that like listed all of their shows, and I was like, all right, who are they playing with? And it was yeah. like Tad and the Melvins and Bikini yeah. Kill and L7. 
they weren't playing shows with, no. you know, Pearl Jam. I mean, they played like a couple shows with Pearl Jam, but that wasn't like their, their scene. No, that wasn't the and, scene, uh, absolutely. And I read yeah. Kurt Cobain's list of his favorite albums of all time, and I was like, oh, I really like a lot of these albums, but let me listen to yeah. the others that were on there. And so yeah. it, it made me realize how different they were then than they are imagined to be now in terms of where they fit in with like right. rock history. Well, they right. just, they got lumped into the Seattle sound of, right. Yeah. They were all, all these bands from Seattle and they were all growing. Like, do you like, uh, I mean, even now if someone's like, do you like grunge? I, I it's almost like with a giant asterisk. I'm like, I yeah. like Nir- uh, uh, Nirvana and like silver yeah. chair. If they count as grunge, I was like, grunge uh, you is know, not a sonic, identifier really yeah it's it's more uh it's almost more a fashion aesthetic than it is a sonic sonic there's still bands doing that style of music now but you would just say they're indie you wouldn't call it grunge but so um here's here's the awkward dovetailing though is because i had i had a terrifying thought the other day uh that i that my brain created a unique Our Lady Peace song without my consent. I like that band. <laughs> Our, I do. It's okay. Um, so I, I had this song stuck in my head, and I am hearing it crystal clear in my brain. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely the song that was playing at physical therapy there's an Our Lady Peace song that comes out on one of the Spotify playlists. <laughs> I'm like, I've, I've never got into Our Lady Peace myself. And so I'm like, okay, what is the song? And I'm trying to figure out, but it's like one of those choruses that doesn't have any words, you know? And it's just like kind of like a, you know, like just kind of vamping on syllables, whatever. And so I'm like, okay, let me, let me open up the Google app and sing this. Because mm-hmm. you know the Google app has like find a song yeah. sort of thing, yeah. but that's you confidence know. in your uh, ability to hit the hit the notes exactly. I did an octave below, um, <laughs> but I did this, and it pulled up this song by Our Lady Peace. I'm like, okay, that's who I thought it was. Is this the song? And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, no, this isn't the song. Which one is it? And so I go on YouTube and I'm looking through like all of their music videos, trying to find this freaking chorus that I did. I'm like, did I, did my brain invent an Our Lady Peace song? Because <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that. I don't and know if I can. What was the conclusion? Did did you invent? Oh the song? no, it was the first one that Google told me. I just didn't go far enough in the song. Oh, I, <laughs> it was right. Superman's dead, of course. Oh, that song rules. That song rules. It came on. It came on the physical therapy playlist, and I'm sitting there moving. I'll also say there's nothing quite as humbling as physical therapy. There is nothing that will humble you more than hey, take this one pound weight and push it two inches into the air, ten reps, three sets. You're like, I'm, then, I'm a man. Do you see I me? I, I know, but then, like, but then like halfway through the second set, you're like, this is starting to burn. <laughs> uh, but so I'm sitting there doing these stupid exercises, and I'm like, and this song comes on, I'm like, who is this that thinks so confidently that he is Billy Corgan? <laughs> I love his voice. I'm a, I'm a Arlie Because it's Billy Corgan. But 
Uh, I do want to move on to, to uh, interest of time. Yeah, yeah. I want to sh- throw Mike a final uh, big question. Is just that you, uh, how do you discover new music, modern music, local music? Because yeah. I know you're constantly at local shows. Yes, yes. yes. Let me, I feel like, yeah, I want to give you a good answer for this. Um, social media, Facebook, now Instagram, following bands, following record labels, following venues, uh, seeing who the bands I like are playing with, yeah. seeing who else is on the label that I that the band I like is on, seeing who else. That, the, so that was a big thing, I think, for Nat and me. Is yeah. Getting, yeah. You get a Get Up Kids record, you open it up, and there's a Vagrant record flyer yeah, in yeah, it, and yeah. you unfold it, and it's like, yeah. here's the 10 other bands we I'm, represent. I'm sorry, there's a, there's a what record thing in there? Vagrant. What, did I say it wrong? Vagrant? Vagrant. Vagrant? Vagrant. It has always been <sighs> vagrant. But. Everybody needs to stop criticizing me about how I say it. We have. To, I think we. I think we need to have a Jesse's mispronunciation of the week. Is what we need to have. I'm fine with it because if I mispronounce a word, you know what? My English teacher told me that means that I read it first. And <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm, that means I'm smart. It means you have a like when I used to think for reading. Yeah, when I used to think that Ari was a different word than awry. <laughs> I used to. I used to think they're synonyms, but I'd never saw awry <laughs> written down. Um, so other, uh, yeah, you discover local labels. Um, I remember going to see a show that really was really life changing in my music taste was seeing this band screaming females at the brass rail in Fort Wayne. Mm, Amazing band. Brass rail. The brass rail, you know, all right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're from the brass rail. You're from that area. The brass rail seeing screaming females in, in, Summer of 2016, Marissa Paternoster from Screaming Females is absolutely brilliant. Just an amazing songwriter, guitar player, just a total genius, a terrific singer. Listen to Screaming Females. That show was just amazing. Uh, I had a friend, met a friend named Emily in 2016, 2017. She was really into more modern grunge punk, like the, the Coat Hangers and Diet Sig and Bully and Dilly Dally, who are all phenomenal, like, grungy punk bands who are, most of them are still making music, and I got into that and started following them, like those artists on YouTube, and just kept listening and digesting, going to shows, following the venues, mm. um, going to shows at the Hi-Fi in Indianapolis, going to shows at the Melody Inn and in Indianapolis. Are you going solo, or you, do you have a friend group you go with? Do you just... Uh, because you are warm and gregarious, you just meet people there. Like? Uh, all, all the above, all okay. the above. <laughs> I would find. I would. I'm in very the- intimidated. Well, I'm, I'm not intimidated is the wrong word. I'm very lazy. I like if it's just me hanging out at home and like Warren's traveling for work, and I'll be like, like this happened the other day where I was like going to go see Alexis on Fire and Elliot were touring together, and she was. Uh, uh, you skipped Elliot, gone. man. Come on. And I was like. Man, I don't want to go see Elliot. I I listened to them all through high school, and I love that band. And Alexis on Fire is okay. And then it was just like, nah, I don't want to get off the couch. <laughs> um, come on, man. Yeah. All right. So going with people, yeah, there would be people who in my friend group I would either know that they like the band, or I would think, oh, I bet this person will like that band, and I would invite them. 
there would be people who lived in like Fort Wayne or people who lived in Indianapolis. And I would be like, Hey, let's hang out. Let's go to the show together. I think once people like trusted my taste in music, they'd be like, Oh, I don't know this band, but I trust that my yeah. would invite me to a show that I would like. I do love going to shows by myself because I don't have to like worry about, all right, is this person having a good time? They hate <laughs> this music. Is it too crowded? Um, is it, is it too empty? <laughs> Yeah. I love love meeting people at shows. I've met some wonderful friends, like yeah. some very very dear friends at shows. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, going to see Skating Polly, this grunge punk band at the Melody Inn. I got to meet this band called the Orchard Keepers in Indianapolis, who I've become very dear friends with. Going to see an Orchard Keepers show in Muncie, I got to meet. Um, this guy, Max Dinari, who's an incredibly dear friend, who was in a band called Doppler Radar in the local news. They're at, at Indianapolis. <laughs> Doppler Radar. That. that is a great Amazing. name. Doppler Radar um, in the local news. <laughs> um, a wonderful, wonderful band, wonderful people. So it, it really was just a constant kind of, you yeah. know, being a librarian and knowing how to like track down sources and link them to other sources, mm. I think was the mm. same skills of, Finding bands, but a lot your, of your your day to day job is 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 it archivist or librarian? Yeah, or? yeah, both both of okay. those things. Are, if are one of the most well, in my world, I meet people, and it's what tech company do you work at? Are you a project manager? Or are you a software engineer? Or are you whatever? And so, anytime I meet somebody who's not that, I'm like, oh my god, tell me. <laughs> so, uh, we, I have a dear friend who's yeah. a librarian, and I'm always asking them about their job. And, uh, anyways, cool. yeah. Um, and I'll, YouTube, I'll echo. Oh, you go. Ahead. No, no, I was a like, all right. YouTube channels, uh, hate five oh, yeah. six, tremendo garage, turn on hey, the five, tube is great. Harkari Diat, um, a lot of YouTube channels that just post punk albums and punk. Okay. Uh, singles. And I only just, know Hate Five Six. The other ones you're mentioning, I am. None of the other ones are filming things. The other ones okay. are uploading. Just curators. Uh, uploading curators. Okay. Hate Five Six is very different because it's Sunny filming dude, all this stuff. That dude rules. Phenomenal <clears throat> dude. Just phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal dude. Nat, you were going to say. Yeah. You were going to um, have a comment. I was going to say, as, as somebody who like helps book at like a local DIY venue, like this is. This is all very important things for if you are listening and you want to be plugged into like a local scene. Cause there are local scenes probably where you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they aren't where you are, then they are probably not that far away. Yeah. Um, cause I have almost every show that we do, uh, there will be somebody who shows up. Uh, sometimes it's like a, you know, a kid fresh out of high school. Uh, recently it was a dude in his forties who just is blown away. And is like, I did not know that this is a thing that is happening. And this is a mm. thing that is happening. Yes. It's happening all over. And so, mm. you know, there are all sorts of, um, just almost anywhere you go, there is someone who has been disaffected enough to learn how to play some instrument, uh, <laughs> To, they've been bad enough at sports and unpopular enough with friends that they have learned to write 
a song that they have decided to perform. And you know, just find a find an open mic, find a local DIY, find and all those. Things. Just talk to people there, and just get your foot in the door. Um, and then if you're in a place that doesn't have any of this stuff, but you you know, you can you can build it up with a little bit of. It doesn't yeah. take it doesn't take a whole yes. lot to build up a DIY scene. You just need about twelve people. Well, and I want to piggyback off that. So the music maybe not side even. has never been too intimidating for me to get into. But uh, we got a house about a year ago, and it's very. I mean, ever since I moved to SF, when I moved to SF in twenty thirteen, I was like hyper aware of the whole tech is gentrifying SF, and I was radically like how do i what is the ethical way for me to move here further my career do what i want to do but not uh be somebody who is lampooned and and viewed as this villain and and part of the problem and so i've always carried that ethos and we get this this place in a neighborhood in, in sf and uh i tried to get plugged into the neighborhood and like that's been my yeah. sort of intimidation cool. of going, I want to get plugged into the neighborhood. What do I do? And I'm like, Oh, I've like volunteered for cleanup days and I'm meeting people and right. We're not into the same music, right? It's a very obviously right. radically yeah. thing, but we both care about our neighborhood. Yeah. Right. And we're like cleaning up trash in our neighborhood because we like, we give a damn. And uh, I'm volunteering next Saturday at like the local community garden because like I want to learn how to garden. <laughs> because, awesome. You know what awesome. I mean? I'm like, I'm like, I'm terrified of gardening. I don't know what I'm doing and I want to learn how to garden. And so if you are, are, are not like uh, me where you weren't going to shows as a, as a young person and you maybe want to go, don't be afraid. Just go. It's fine. You stand there, you enjoy music, you have a drink. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Love that. Great. Place um, to make friends. I think this is a great segue into, uh, our weekly picks. Yeah. Any, all right. Uh, well, I'm going to go first because you guys have more fun ones. <laughs> Mine's boring. Um, I've in the past, uh, you know, I've always Jesse, been, a, you can, what? Just, you can, you can listen to more interesting music. You know, that's an option. <laughs> if you feel so self-conscious about it all the time. My pick is Taylor Swift's Midnight's. No, uh, Elva is a good record. It's a good record. I will defend it. But uh, Built to Spill's newest called, uh, wait, what is it called? Uh, when the Wind Forgets Your Name. When the Wind Forgets Your Name by Built to Spill. Uh, Built to Spill is legendary in the giant bucket of bearded Gen X dad <laughs> bands that <laughs> yeah. I have never properly gotten into so like yeah. I, I would throw them in with sonic youth and with pavement and it's dinosaur like junior dinosaur sure. junior totally totally they totally. were name dropped in an atari's song and i have gotten really into sonic youth and really into dinosaur junior and really into um pavement and i've never properly got into built spill um and i have this past year been having like a big built to spill Moments and co- complete coincidence, they had a new record this year. And, you know, they're not a band that releases a record too often. And so they're coming here. I'm going, I'm going with uh, our dear friend Evan uh, to awesome. show here. And yep. uh, I'm excited to not know most of their songs, but to <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, but their new record's good. Yeah. It holds up. But yeah, obviously, if you haven't heard the band, just go on Spotify and listen to like the top hits and then go from there. But that that's my pick, the new the new Built to Spill. I, I was very satisfied when I... 
out of I was listening to keep it like a secret and out of curiosity went to Spotify to see the streams and I was delighted to see that Spotify has agreed with me that Carry the Zero is for sure the best song it's their biggest it hit is, by far oh yeah it's like it's their it's their biggest hit on Spotify by like a magnitude of one like yeah. it's insanely overplayed compared to everything else. Uh, Nats, what 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 is your? Uh, I always put in the show notes for Nat because Nat doesn't fill them out, or not our show notes, but our outline. I always put something obscure. Nat, <laughs> what's your obscure band today? Um, speaking of local scenes, um, there's a, a friend of mine who lives half mile from my house who has played shows I've put on, who has played festivals I've organized, who also does a lot of stop-motion video work for tons of people, including Julian Baker and Wilco and The Roots. Whoa! My friend Joe Boffman, who lives here in town, Um, and he also has a musical project called Joe Boffman and the Righteous Few, um, which at different times has been called the Flying to Selms. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, (laughs) The Flying to Selms has an album on Spotify. I think what happened is that whenever he used to play with the Flying to Selms, they would wear costumes and he had a paper bag that he would put over his head with goggles and whatever. And I think the paper bag broke. And so they're no longer the Flying to Selms. Um, (laughs) It's a pretty fixable problem, but okay. Well, wait, what record? Bad. What record are you reckoning? Joe so Boffman. So the, the record is this past weekend they released an album called Antichrist Complex, which is I always am confounded trying to explain uh, what exactly Joe does. He mostly plays piano. He has a band around him that includes, you know, electric guitar and a, my, my my good friend Martin on bass. He's an incredible bass player. Uh, and then, you know, there's a Moog synthesizer and a baritone saxophone and, you know, all sorts of stuff and um, just wildness happening around him. And it's sort of like there's a bit of Nielsen in it. There's a bit of Talking Heads in it. There's a bit of like Paul McCartney's oh. Ram in it there's a whole lot of elton john's attacking of a piano in it and then he just like bellows like a like a monstrous beast and i honestly and i mean this is the highest compliment the best comparison i can ever muster when talking about his music is dr teeth and the electric mayhem from the (laughs) They played uh, out like I say. They played outside lands. They did. They played outside lands here a couple years ago, and a lot of people bought tickets just to go see. Like, what the hell is this Muppets? Absolutely. Thing. Uh, If you don't know, that's the that's animals uh, from the Muppets like band. Yeah, it's Um, well. He's the drummer. He's the drummer. And Doctor Teeth and Floyd on the bass. Um, But it is. It feels like a really great. Muppets indie rock record. And Joe himself seems a bit like a Muppet uh, in the best way. Um, All right, so uh, but Joe Boffman. Antichrist Complex. Throw some Sufjan Stevens in there for good measure. It is an incredible record. It is an opus. Uh, awesome. Not a, not a word that I throw around. Uh, guest of honor, uh, Mike, what is yeah. your weekly pick? So, so this is an album that came out in 
2019 that I really kind of binged during the first year of COVID. Uh, it's by a band called Free Refills, and the album is called Raw Steak Black Coffee. And it is like a <laughs> I love uh, both kind of, of uh, those. Sounds uh, like yeah. my dinner order. No, I, I love both the band name and the the album name. That's just a very that's good. It it is a kind of a hit you over the head band, uh, like an album name and also an, an album. It is like a kind of a digital punk, like basement punk kind of album oh, okay. that is kind of terrifying and kind of fascinating and kind of stark. It sounds a lot like Le Gray, who I know that Jesse is, is not the biggest <laughs> fan of. Is it anything uh, like Suicide? Um, suicide, if like, it's like Suicide for the TikTok generation. <laughs> okay, I get that. Um, without a, like, get that. spooky songs about Vietnam, spooky songs about like, the anxiety. I mean, the album really speaks to the like cyclical euphoria and anxiety of living online. And it was oh, written sure. before COVID, but I feel like it was almost amplified. Absolutely. Like the COVID experience of, of not really going anywhere and, and experiencing the world through the internet from your home. Like that, I mean, it's really reflected in the music, even though it was written before COVID started. Um, but the band is, the, the band is brilliant and the music is so fascinating and weird and disturbing. And what what genre? We, we t- you just count punk. punk, basically. Okay, okay. Punk, yeah, punk. Cool. I could have could have named like a hundred albums that I could have I, like waxed so, on right, about. We got the, the free refills. Free refills, raw steak, uh, raw black, steak black coffee. coffee. Uh, um, they, have a, they had a couple singles that came out recently that I was really into. And so I was like, all right, well, we've got to go back to this full. And this is really the, the full length album that they've okay. released. Nice. Yeah. All right. uh, Thank you. Well, th- like, uh, it's just been a damn pleasure. I'm glad you two are finally meeting. Yes. Uh, virtually, yeah. somewhat. Yes. But, you know. Yes. We've been online for a bit. I think since mm-hmm. the start of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And every once in a while, he'll just message me the wildest video of a new band. Love it. Yeah. Thank you, like, Thank you for right. appreciating the various recommendations I sent. I'm glad that you like that ska band, Cat Bite. They're amazing. Yeah, they're so good. <laughs> they're so good. So they're doing I, a, I need a headlining to, I need to get. I need. Oh, sweet! I need to get short headlining them because I I love every video that I've seen of them. But that's all I that's all I dug in. I uh, also that I'm band, always clever girl that you showed me that time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. wild. Oh, that's that's got to be a Jurassic Park reference, right? Absolutely. Oh yeah, sharp uh, tooth, sharp tooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clever yeah. girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. The I I'm. A person who I, when I experience something, I have to share it and talk about it. I just need to. And uh, I mentioned, I think on the last episode that like my big thing this year, and it was really started when Nat was in town, we went to the bookstore and I bought a book and it just kind of started. I've always wanted to be a reader, but I've been like a really crappy reader. Like I'll read two books a year very slowly. And uh, I've been reading about a book a week for a while and uh, it's stuck. It's stuck. I don't know what collected stuck. But all that to say, I have to talk about, but it's really annoying. Like, so I read Madame Bovary, right? The thing was written in 18, like 60 or something, right? You can't go like, yo, dude, you ever read Madame Bovary? They're either going to be like, yeah, and I don't remember it. Or, you know, it's not like a current part of the zeitgeist thing where it's like, oh, tell, have you heard the new Taylor Swift record, which is like different. And so, um, what, Madame, yeah, they, they have like five Madame Bovary movies. Like recently with... 
I have no idea. Arterton? I have no idea. Um, But all that to say, I am constantly sharing with people and I always am a little nervous that am I overwhelming them? And you, uh, Mike, always make me feel good because you share what you, like you have that same gene or bug or whatever. You yeah, 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 You're yeah. Like, I love this thing. I got you. you like, I love it. Totally, you don't have to. Totally you don't have to. But Enthusiasm you, you know, is the yeah. way. I totally yeah. relate. Earlier. Jesse, I love the Instagram stories with the books. I'll need to <laughs> replay those. Sorry, now you were going to say something. You said every... Oh, no. I just said enthusiasm is the way. I, yeah. It is. I said yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. Be enthusiastic about shit. Come on. I There's, love that. Um, That's... I, you know... I've, I've tried to live that way and hearing y'all say it in this way and emphasizing it in this fashion uh, just reinforces it for me too. So thank yeah, you for that I, inspiration. I just look at a uh, life is short and do I want to, what I listen to heavy music and dark music and depressing music, um, not to, for ironic reasons <laughs> or not for cred, whatever that's worth, right? I listen to it because one, I genuinely like it and two, it's, it's therapeutic. Um, you know, if I could, uh, wave a magic wand and, you know, I joked about the norm core thing earlier, if I could wave a magic wand and just be super happy listening to Ed Sheeran, I I would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, but I'm not how terrible Ed Sheeran is yet. And you know, I'm not that, I'm not that guy, but all that to say, being more depressed or being more cynical or being more uh, disaffected yeah. than you naturally are is not fun, right? No. I have to live Correct. my life. If someone comes to me and says, uh, Hey, I like the new record by so-and-so I'm like, you like, like, am I just going to like shit on that? Like, no, that's not fun. No one wants to hang out with the guy. That's a good I, way to not have a lot of <laughs> Yeah. I might because <laughs> no, I, well. that's, that's because I, I, uh, I don't have very much of a filter, um, <laughs> but you said you said life is too short to do that. I'll say life is too long to be that damn bored all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've yeah. got incredible things happening all the time. We have incredible. I review music as like a day job, and like I am hearing every week, you know, something that is just absolutely incredible. That is, you know, it's a butter in my biscuit, you know, real, real thick, you know, just a whole pad of butter on Mm, on this biscuit. And, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to just sit there and be like, be too cool and like, just be bored all the time. Yeah. Like life's too long to be that bored for that long. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Totally agree with that. I honestly, when I was thinking about some of the questions that y'all had sent me, I think that part of my interest in music is is a want to to have a, a, a appreciation for new ideas for what's happening in the world, and I never want to be yeah. that person who was like, kids these days don't get it, or yes. I never want to be that person who yes. is out of touch and who doesn't, who is threatened by the new idea, by the new perspective. Yeah. I think that young people today, younger than myself, are so brilliantly aware of ideas and concepts that I was ignorant to when I was, you know, 20 and I'm just astounded by it and getting to hear the music that people of that generation were making and the music that people of my generation and older generations are making. I just 
want to continue to consume new ideas and perspectives because I, I, it keeps me so fresh. And it yeah. keeps me from, it keeps me having a really healthy outlook and open-minded outlook on the world. And I never want yeah. to lose that. Yeah, for sure. And, and then to even, you know, reflect that back, I think recognizing that a lot of these ideas that are happening now, especially in the more avant-garde art scenes, are a lot of the same ideas that yes. you know the cla- that Kurt Cobain had, the same ideas that the Clash had, the same ideas that Miles Davis had, the same mm-hmm. ideas that Charles Mingus and Louis Armstrong and mm-hmm. Jackson Pollock and P- Pablo Picasso and mm-hmm. you know it's just the the bleeding edge is the bleeding edge forever. Yeah, yeah. when it's I heard like I was going to say when I heard the hundred yeah. uh, gecks, I didn't enjoy <laughs> it, but I was also like. I did not do the old man thing where I was like, ah, kids, I just a hundred percent was like, yeah, I get it. Right. They're, they're doing their generation's version of, of new, loud, weird, confusing, disaffected, whatever. Um, and so, uh, I appreciate it, even though I don't personally want to put it on, uh, in the background. I love it. We should, we, should, we, uh, we should wrap up. This has okay. been a damn delight. And yeah. I feel like us three could talk until the cows come home. Keep on going. Um, this is wonderful. Gotta, you know, Nat has to go be a dad. Gotta, I'm going to go She's stare at bed right now. I'm going to go stare at the news and in. Oh yeah. We have election. election day. It's election Coming day. From election day. Woo. So we I can't wanna, have, you know, Told you all to vote. <laughs> Do you guys have any props you want to plug? Because this will air too. <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank, thank you again for having me. This was an absolute yeah. delight. You're both wonderful people. I'm thankful to be your friends. To be, I'm thankful to be your friend. To call yeah. you my friends. And uh, this is a great self-reflection yeah. exercise. And thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. I'll see you guys later. Cool. Yeah. And uh, at this... See y'all in two weeks-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Deep Food Radio. This podcast is hosted and produced by Jesse Atkinson and Matt Fitzgerald, who apologize for their rambling, but they also won't adjust their behavior, so their apology should be taken with a grain of salt. If, for whatever reason, you want more, you can follow at Deep Food Radio Pod on all socials and visit DeepFoodRadioPod.com. Someone, please... Sponsor us.